good morning. It's good to see you on campus this morning, and thanks to those of you who are joining us online as well. If you are new to our church, whether that's here with us or that's watching online this morning, uh, we just are so grateful that you're spending time with us, and we would love to know who you are. Uh, I would like for you, if possible, to text the word CONNECT uh, to the number that is going to be on the screen, and one of our staff members will follow up with you this week and, and help you learn more about how you can get plugged into the life of this church. Uh, if you're with us on campus, you're also welcome to come and talk to myself or one of the other leaders who will be in the front of the stage at the end of the service. Uh, we are having a prayer night this evening. Uh, that is going to be, I think, night and evening, kind of, you got that. But uh, at 5.30 this evening. And uh, this is something we're trying to do once a month where we just come together as a church. We did this in January, and uh, we're doing that again tonight, which is February. And just pray uh, for an hour or so. Pray that God would do a work in us, in, in our church, in a way that uh, he would get the glory uh, and, you know, that we would strive to do things that he has to help us with. And we really do need his help uh, in doing those things. So tonight we'll be reading through some passages of scripture and praying in response to those scripture. Uh, and so I would invite you to attend with us tonight, if you can, at 530 right here in the sanctuary. You know, one of the things we're praying for is that we would indeed live out and embody what we're talking about over the first three months of this year. And that is to live sent. This morning in your life groups, uh, you will be, or this week in your life groups, you will be uh, going through uh, the topic, developing a sent culture. And, and we'll look at some things that really help us as a church to see what does it look like to, to be a group of people who don't just gather together and see churches, the gathering together, but see the church, the gathering as a part of the church, really living sent. And, and, and what would be amazing is if as many of us as possible would understand God has called us to be on mission with our life. Wherever it is that we would go, the results of more and more people embodying that would just be tremendous. But facts, data, statistics say that most of us won't do that. Most of us will not live our lives really for the kingdom. Most of us will not live our lives trying to introduce people to who Jesus is. I would go back to what Pastor Michael talked about last week when he talked about the seed that is planted that is then, you know, the plant grows up, but it's choked out by the worries of this world. That is really how most Christians, or at least many Christians, live their lives, is never really seeing this fruit that we're talking about as we look at all these passages and live sent, and we talk about what we talked about last week. And so today I want to ask you this question, are you free to live sin? Are you free to live sin? And as we live sin, as we think about living sin, I want to really look at how we view today, how we view tomorrow, and how we view our past. So let's start with today. And I would say this, people do not live sin because they are living their best life today. People do not live sent because they are living their best life today. So what I mean by that is that people are really saying, I have got to get 
all that I can out of this life right now. I have got to get wealth. I have got to get possessions. I have got to make sure that I am happy. And as you think about that mentality, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 34, Jesus is going to really help us to see the mentality we need to have to live since. And um, I'm just going to start in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, skin and steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus addresses the issue of what it is that we treasure. What do you treasure? Now, whenever you talk about treasure, possessions, money, and church, you realize that that comes with some baggage. In fact, uh, if you were to ask people what do they least like hearing about in church, probably number, one of the number one answers would be money or a topic similar to that. In fact, many people who call themselves uh, unchurched say one of the reasons that they're not a part of church is because of how much the church talks about money. So I'll, I'll just say this to you. If you are bitter about that topic and you don't want to hear me talk about that topic, then get on your phone and play a video game or something right now. That is totally fine. My goal is not to tell you what I have to say, but to talk to you about what God has to say. Randy Alcorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle, 15% of everything Christ said relates to the topic of money more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Why is it important that we talk about money in the church? Well, one is if you're going through the word, the amount of space that's given to this issue will cause it to be brought up about 15% of the time. And also notice what Jesus says in verse 21, not just the amount of space, but the significance of the issue. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our treasure is, is where we can find our hearts. Either I am aiming to make God my treasure in everything, or I am aiming to make money and what it can buy me my treasure in everything. And we should not be living for treasures in this world. We should be living for the treasures of the kingdom. We should be living for the treasures of eternity. And to live sent, we've really got to develop this mindset of the kingdom and to be generous to that end. If our heart is on the kingdom, then our money will be on the kingdom. Now, most of you know this. You conceptually, you, you get what I'm talking about. And in fact, even if you're opposed to the issue, you're probably not completely opposed to the issue. You've just used abuses of the church to justify your opposition to the issue. So it shouldn't be that hard for us to really get, especially those of us who would say we're believers, that we should be generous people 
towards God through the church and, and not just that. That's just the beginning of it. So it shouldn't be that hard, but it is hard. And, and here's why. We lack contentment. The key to being free to live sent is contentment. The key to being free to live sent is contentment. I want you to hold your place in Matthew chapter 6, but I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as Paul instructs the church. And, and to just give you a little background into what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is he's addressing false doctrine that's, that's coming up in the church. He says that people are twisting God's teaching for gain. It's probably what we would call the prosperity gospel today. Basically, he's saying there's these teachers, these pastors and they want to get rich. So they're teaching this version of Christianity that, that affirms them being rich, but also affirms the people they're teaching to give, believing God will make them rich. So it kind of works out for everybody in what they desire. And so he says they're doing this for gain. And then he says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice what Paul says. They teach, twisting the scriptures for gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The message of God is not give up everything you want and be miserable, but you're doing it for Jesus. Now, some of you look like that when we sing some of our songs, but that's not the message. I know we're Baptists, but you know, that's, that's not the message of the Bible. Here's the message of the Bible. Exchange everything that you want for what God wants for you, which is infinitely better. That's the message of the kingdom. That's the message of the Bible. What God has in store for you by living for him is far better than anything you could give yourself. Now again, I think we get that. I think we give, get that. But why is it so hard to live that? Because we lack contentment. Benjamin Franklin said that contentment makes poor men rich and discontent makes rich men poor. He said, by being content, you will really be rich no matter what you have in this earth. And by being discontent, you might have all the possessions you would want and you would still be poor. So how do we continually find ourselves discontent. How do we struggle? Why do we struggle with being content? Well, I believe that comparison is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. There's a podcast called The Happiness Lab, and in one of their episodes, they, they talked about a survey that was done of people who make about $50,000 a year at a household income. And they had two groups that were surveyed, a group that made about $50,000 a year where just about everybody they were around made $50,000 a year, and the second group made fifty dollars to $75,000 a year, but the median income, household income was closer to 100000 in the neighborhoods that they lived at. And it was amazing that the people who made about $50,000 a year as a household, on the low end of that, but were kind of around the average of their peers, they were incredibly satisfied and incredibly happy, but the group who made the same amount, but more actually, but were comparing themselves with those who were making $100,000 a year or more, were actually much 
unhappier. You see, the issue was not what we had, but it was how we compared ourselves with those that we are around. Now, these tensions are going to exist in our life. For most of us, we're going to look around and we're always going to see somebody who has more than us or some bodies who have more than us. We're going to see things that we do not have. And so what we have to do, what we have to do, listen, what we have to do is we have to find a source of contentment if we really want to be rich. We have to find a source of contentment if we really want to have joy. And the secret of contentment is to realize that life is a gift, not a right. The secret of contentment is to realize that life is a gift, not a right. Now, as believers, as human beings, we should treat each other with God-given rights. But let's back up and let's bring it on a personal level. I have no right to exist. You have no right to exist. God did not have to create you. God was not obligated to create you. God chose to create you. The fact that you are alive, that I am alive, is a gift. And then we view everything God gives us in that light. Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, we should not be content without food and clothing, probably a house, because, you know, it's hard to survive without those things. And so as long as God have, has us on this earth, we should want those things. We have a ministry in our church that exists to help people when they are not able to get those things the way they should and hopefully get them on the right track or get them back on track. But let's be real here. We don't actually need more than that. We don't actually need more than food and clothing and a house. A, a pastor, an older pastor asked me one time when I was just getting started in ministry, he said, have you ever heard of the naked principle? And I said, I don't know where you're going with this, so I'm gonna just wait. But he said, it's the principle of Job, what Job says and what Paul says in Timothy, that you come into this world naked and you leave the world naked. So it doesn't really matter what you accumulate. Uh, it's really how you lived those years that you have in that life. I mean, perhaps you've heard the story of the rich tycoon who died. And whenever somebody asked how much did he leave behind, the person piped up and said, all of it. I mean, everybody, no matter what we accumulate in this life, we do not take it with us into the next. Again, we get this. But that pull, that pull of materialism is strong. That comparison that we make on social media to the vacations so-and-so is going on or the house so-and-so has or the vehicle that so-and-so has or whatever else it may be that they have that we do not have, that is so strong pulling us to live our life for that. But here's what I would tell you, and here's why this is important. That pull is not just strong, it's dangerous. Look at what Paul says, verse 9. 1 Timothy 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says the desire to be rich 
leads you temptation, but leads you into temptation. Also, the desire to be rich leads you to other harmful desires. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Materialism is a trap. It's deceptive. And Webster's Dictionary defines materialism as this, a way of thinking that gives too much importance to material possessions rather than to spiritual or intellectual things. Now, I want you to notice, God has never said in his word that being rich is a problem. He's never said that having stuff is a problem, but he says the desires to have that is the problem. The desire to be rich is a problem. And when we are materialistic, when we have this desire, it's really like drinking salt water. And so we think, if I can only get this, if I can only have this much, it will quench my thirst, and then we drink it, and we become even more thirsty. That's what materialism is like. And verse 9 is not saying that greed can mess up your marriage or your business, which it certainly can, but what this text is ultimately saying is that if you live a life of covetousness, then it can mess up your eternity with ruin and destruction. Because the issue here is if you're really living for this, then God's will is not what matters to you. And so is God really your Lord? Are you really living for him? And at the very least, it's, it's a barrier to you living the life that he's called you and I to live. And we see this. I would say that materialism is the blind spot of the American church. If you know what a blind spot is, well, if you don't, then don't drive near me on the road. Uh, but if you know what a blind spot is, it's when you're driving and, you know, you look in the mirrors and you think there's nothing beside you, then you pull over and bam, because there was a car in your blind spot. And so you got to check your blind spots because you don't see it unless you look for it. And I believe this is one of those things Materialism is one of those things in the American church that we don't just glance in our mirrors and see. And if we're not aware that it's there in our blind spot, then the consequences are great. Jesus said, go back to Matthew chapter 6. In verse 22, Jesus said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So he's saying what you're looking at is, is really, you know, the lamp of your body. It's determining where you're going. And so if you could see clearly through your eyes, then your whole body will be healthy because it follows. But if your eye is bad, verse 23, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Remember, this is in the context of treasures on earth and so if our eyes are focused on treasures on earth what we can give ourselves today then how bad is the darkness we don't even see what we're living for and these mentalities exist i would say that those who don't want to hear money talked about in the church and who say i don't go to church because it because they don't want to give any money to anything it's their money or churches that don't revolve themselves around missions. I mean, and specifically churches with the affluence we have in our country to be focused on giving more and more away. Or people who are just content. Excuse me, who people who are just aren't content. 
who can never be content. These are, these are blind spots that exist. And listen to what Jesus goes on to say. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you're trying to serve God and money, what's going to happen is either you're going to say, here's my God, how can my money be used for the God I serve? Or you're going to say, here's the money I want, how can I use God for that? One of those is worship of God, and one of those is worship of money. One of those sees money as a tool to the life God wants for us, and the other sees God as a tool to the life we think money can bring us. And if Jesus has changed your life, your view of money will change. If Jesus has changed your life, your view of money will change because Jesus changes everything. We say here, Jesus is not a part of life. He is life. So he becomes the filter. His word becomes the filter through which I make every decision and through which I do everything in my life. He is my Lord, and I am a steward of all the things that he gives me. And so our mentality then, say, I'm living for him, and I trust in him, and that changes my heart and therefore my treasure. In Hebrews, the author said in verse Chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, Jesus is mine forever. That's what I'm living for. He goes on to say, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So we've talked about how living for today can be a barrier or is a barrier to living sin. But I would also say that being worried about tomorrow is a barrier to living sin. People do not live sin because they are worried about tomorrow. It's one thing to look and say to the group that, you know, clearly is trying to live, you know, I don't, people don't say YOLO anymore, but whatever, you know, every day like that to say that. But there's also the group who's worried about tomorrow. So they may not be living or seeming to live as materialistically, but the reality is it's tomorrow that is guiding them, not eternity. And so that's a barrier to living sin. Now, before I get more into this, let me say this. I think this needs to be said. I am not anti-medicine, I am not anti-science, I am not anti-psychology. And I realize that in this room and watching online this morning are people who have been diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. Let, let me say that there is a distinction between clinical anxiety and pop pseudo-psychology that says things are anxiety. So there are people who say they struggle with anxiety that really don't. That's just kind of easy label. But there are also people who clinically, scientifically, 
have been diagnosed to struggle with anxiety. I would also say this. I am 100% confident that I would be diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder or issue. In fact, when I was in my early 20s, I was stressed, you know, I was working two jobs, planting a church is one of them. We were having kids, a lot of them, fast. Um, and I wasn't taking care of myself like I should. And I started having chest pains one day and I went to the ER and everything was fine. Then I went to the doctor and my doctor was like, look, you need, you need to go and get help. And he prescribed me anxiety medicine. And I chose you know, to take it for a little while and then stop taking it. But I would say this because I felt like I could persevere without it. But I would say this, that I still struggle with this. I am tempted to worry about every single thing, every single action that I make. And I'm a leader and I'm responsible for a lot of stuff, you know, like I think about, did I miss out on an opportunity? What are the, what are people going to say about that? What's the ramifications? What are people going to think about me? I'm coaching little league ball. If we beat a team too bad, everybody can be like, there's that mean pastor. We're leaving his church because he, he mercy rules everybody. Or if we lose, they can be like, ah, he's not respectful. I'm telling you, I go into seven different scenarios and then seven scenarios on that, and then seven scenarios on that with every single thing. Often, when you're in a conversation with me, and it's like, he's kind of checking out. I'm not checking out. I'm thinking about 93 possibilities of what you just said and where that could go. I'm worried what you're going to think about me after me talking about this right now when you go to your life group or you go wherever. I really am. And so I am not discrediting that all of that exists. And let me just say this. I do believe, though, that we can endure. If that's you and you get diagnosed with something that says you have a mental disorder, mental issue, mental challenge, whatever it may be, anxiety, that's not a death sentence for you because Christ died for you. And I really believe 1 Corinthians 10 says that there will be temptations on this earth, but with every temptation we face, there's a way that we can endure it. I don't understand why God and Jesus in their infinite wisdom don't relieve you from that on this earth, but they do not, but they do tell you that you can endure it. And I believe that your weakness is an opportunity because the word says this, for God's strength to be on display in your life. And it may be very well that struggle you have for all of your life that when you reach eternity, you see the infinite glory of Jesus and how he used you. And I would say, do not give up. Do not withdraw. Do not think it's over. Get help. Have people you can talk to about this and be who Jesus has called you to be. So I say all that to say that what Jesus is talking about isn't that kind of anxiety. What Jesus is talking about is being worried about, will I make it tomorrow? And specifically when it comes to money and, and possessions. And here's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus said, don't worry. Don't live for treasures today and don't worry about provision tomorrow. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't have a plan, but he's saying don't be consumed by this. Some have said that this kind of worry is functional atheism. When you worry, you really don't believe God is God. When we worry, we say God may not have thought of everything. And we often say God is a liar because he said he's all powerful and all loving. Tim Keller says, anxiety is saying to God, I do not believe you have my interest in mind. Anxiety is saying to God, I do not believe you have my best interest in mind. Look at what Jesus goes on to say to the crowd in Matthew 6. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, which are things we do, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. They have pagan gods devoted to each of these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, if you want to understand the kind of provision, think of a good father. And I'm going to take care of you like a good father, and I am your heavenly father. And so to worry about that is pointless. Anxiety is useless. There's no purpose in it. Has it ever added a single hour to my life? No, it takes away hours from my life. Later in verse 34, he'll say, Sufficient is the trouble of the day. Come on now. Today has enough trouble as it all. And why am I worried about tomorrow's trouble? That's what Jesus is saying. Here's a simple practical point. Anxiety does no good. It accomplishes nothing. It doesn't help you. Preach this to yourself. I am accomplishing nothing helpful by being anxious. It is only making a hard situation even harder. And I will listen to Jesus and say no to this useless emotion. I refuse to be mastered by a useless emotion. And my defense against that emotion, my attack against that emotion, is that Jesus is my master. And he is the master of the world. True contentment comes from true security in Christ. The bottom line defense against any anxiety is this. In Christ, we are immortal, and to die is gain. Even if the worst possible outcome on earth happened to a believer, we have forever in glory with Jesus. That's our reason to fight this useless emotion. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, do not fear those who kill the body And after that, have nothing more they could do to you. In other words, there is something far more worse than death, and it can never happen to you, child of God. It can never happen to you, so don't be anxious. Tomorrow has enough trouble. Today has enough trouble of its own. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful now. I want to talk about one more thing, and I don't have time that I should give it because I went off the anxiety thing, but thank you. You guys helped me. Appreciate that. <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So I talked about today and tomorrow, but I'll also say this, the past. Bitterness. Some have said that bitterness is anxiety in reverse. Things in your life are going to get bitter from time to time. But bitter circumstances do not have to create bitter people. 
Bitter circumstances do not have to create bitter people. Listen, plans get messed up. Unexpected expenses come up. And people, man, they're just people. It's going to happen. You don't have to be a bitter person, no matter how bitter the people around you are, no matter how bitter of things you've been through in life. Now, the simplest way to tell if you're a bitter person or if you are bitter is how much you complain. That's the easiest way to know if you are a bitter person is how much you complain. Complaining is a sign of ungratefulness. When you don't realize what you have, it is easy to complain about what you don't have or haven't gotten. Ironically, the more that people typically have, the more that people typically complain because the issue is not wants and needs. The issue is a discontent heart. And I think many of us in this room know that we complain way more than we ought to. But I don't think we realize the seriousness of this problem. In that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, which talks about how God will enable us to endure temptations and struggles in this world, he also says, Paul says, don't crave evil things, don't be idolaters, don't act immorally, don't test the Lord, and don't grumble. And so let me just ask, how many times have we told ourselves or others that grumbling, complaining is on par with idolatry and immorality? Now, people say, well, I'm not trying to complain. We know it just flows naturally (laughs) out of your heart. Is your first reaction to trouble faith-filled prayer to our heavenly Father who knows what we need, or is it grumbling and worry? Jesus says, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So make plans. Work towards goals. But do it humbly with the kingdom in mind. People who live sent... Live today and tomorrow believing they belong to a kingdom of infinite treasures. People who live sent live today and tomorrow believing they belong to a kingdom of infinite treasures. If you follow Boggy Talk, it's a podcast that we do uh, weekly. And last week we had the privilege of interviewing Mark and Robin Nelson, who are members of our church. And Mark and Robin shared the story about how as they got towards retirement, they really realized they wanted to use those years to serve God. And so they began to be involved with Florida Baptist Disaster Relief, an organization they felt they were prepared, equipped to to serve with. And ultimately, the goal is to meet people in times of crisis, but also to be able to share the truth of Jesus Christ as they met those needs. They also talked about how They saw younger families, more and more younger families in our church, and they wanted to help young families. And so they ended up joining a young adult, a life group made up mostly of young adults, the Goodman's group, and they've served as a mentor to many of those couples. Their heart is, how can we use this life we have, this retirement we have for God? 
I think of Philip and Laura Young who are in this room right now and are one of our young adults who lead life groups. And, you know, in a season of life where you have kids' activities, young kids, uh, that in itself could be exhausting. Philip has, uh, works hard in his job, but they, they're dialed in. They're all in to say, how can we not just lead and care for our family, but how can we lead others? And I know that they're trying to build bridges to lead people who aren't a part of the church into the church and invite them into that community as well. Billy Grimes, who's one of our faithful members of our church, uh, who's been here for a long time, uh, he retired from the military, then he felt called into the ministry, but even since he's retired from vocational ministry, he continues to pray and live that God would give him health so he can continue to serve and pastor others in these days to come. Now, here, here's what's interesting about all this. For most of us, we act like it's choosing between having a level of comfort and not if we serve God. But reality, most of us in America are going to still have a level of comfort and food and clothing and housing and probably even get to take trips and go out to eat every once in a while. And it's so funny that we fool ourselves. But there are those whose devotion to the Lord has, has not led that way. I mean, the, probably the most famous story outside of the Bible is of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, who, who were missionaries to Ecuador uh, back in the, the 50s. And when they went there to this tribe that was known to be uh, savages in effort to carry the gospel, they were ultimately killed by that tribe. And then some of their wives went back and take, took the gospel to those people who had killed their husbands and family members. One of my best friends, uh, Trip Battle, was a pastor in Bradenton, and they were reaching some pretty rough people. And one of the couples that they were reaching, um, the husband was involved in drugs and had a history of violence, and one day I got the call that my friend had been murdered by one of these guys that he ministered to. We think of these stories, and I would say even the ones in our church, and they seem radical, but they, they shouldn't be radical. It's the right perspective to live our lives, to live our today and tomorrow with the reality of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And immediately when he realized the value of that treasure, that field, he went and sold everything he had to buy it. If you don't know the value of that field, what he's doing seems illogical. But Christians, we know the value of the kingdom of God. And that's why giving up everything, anything, is worth the life that God has called us to. But hear me in this. The central point of Christianity is not the stories of the people who give up comfort and time and money for the kingdom. Most religions are basically telling you, hey, give up so-and-so, such-and-such, so that you can have the kingdom. But here's what Christianity says. Jesus, God, gave up the throne for us and we're just following him 
he lived his today and tomorrow in light of eternity. He showed us how much it's worth. And so we respond to that with lives that say, I'll do whatever you say, Lord. Pray with me. God, if there's someone in this room this morning who has not realized the gift of life that they've been given, and they've not realized that that life was given to them with a purpose, and today they acknowledge that they've fallen short. They've ignored you, rejected you, used you in hopes that you would give them things they want. But you haven't been Lord. You haven't been God. You haven't been the purpose. God, I pray that they realize this moment, just as life is a gift, there's a greater gift that you've given us, and that is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift that we're given by you. It's not earned. It's given through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I pray that that person in this room that's watching online this morning would just confess to you how they've lived and then confess that you are, you are what is truly worth living for. God, if someone is resistant to that, as bold as this is, I pray that you cause the circumstances in their life to see that nothing else satisfies. That where they would see their need for you. And God, I pray that we as Christians, when we think about what we want today and what we are worried about tomorrow, we would just compare it with what we're promised forever. And that the things of this world will grow slowly, slightly, stranger, dim, in light of your glory and your grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.